Hello, my name is Jill, and the New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 3, 14 through 17, 20, and 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Pam. Thank you for standing for the reading of the gospel found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together before we get started here. God, you know how we struggle sometimes to pray. And as we look at these words of Jesus to the ones that he loved, may we find ourselves included in that. May we easily receive these words from you. Thank you, God, that you know that Some of us are struggling in prayer right now. We don't either know how to pray or want to pray. When we do pray, there's a sense of doubt, of deadness, of dryness. We don't know where you are or we feel forgotten or dismissed by you. Would you enliven our hearts today and encourage us? For those among us who have received either for this season or really throughout their life an anointing of strength in prayer, bless them, God. Thank you for their powerful witness among us that prayer does move things, not least of which our own hearts. And I pray that you would strengthen them again, anoint them again for their work in prayer. And thank you for the way that it builds your church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we started on Ash Wednesday into uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, 
in Matthew. So if you were not able to join that service, ended up being online, um, it's only about 25 minutes. And the first part of it, Jason uh, really invites us into chapter six and gives some really important context for it that I'm not gonna take the time to do today, but I encourage you to go back and, and look at that. It's available online. Um, but I'm, I'm specifically just dealing this morning with the part of the chapter, it's just a few verses where Jesus said, pray like this. And we also find the Lord's prayer in the gospel of Luke, slightly different context. His disciples um, meet him as he comes back from praying and they say, teach us how to pray. And then he gives them slightly different wording, but basically the same structure, same idea. And that gives me a lot of comfort because here these are people who heard Jesus a lot, walked with him, lived with him, laughed with him, ate with him, and they still were like, prayer, how? Tell us what's going on here. So that's encouraging. But today we're talking about something that the church is often called the Lord's Prayer. In the long, longer tradition of the church, in the Catholic and Orthodox tradition, it's sometimes referred to as the Our Father or the Pater Noster. And in the evangelical tradition, sometimes we refer to it as our family prayer because we're casual like that. Um, the doxology of the prayer, the part about the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. That was actually added by Christians later, but it, it is found in other parts of scripture, um, specifically in 1 Chronicles 29. It's, it's a prayer of David, actually. And this prayer, in its grandeur, has been said to be a beautiful summary of the full gospel, there are pieces of what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all trying to highlight about Jesus as the revelation of who God is that are, that are encompassed in that prayer. But it's also been used by cooks before there were clocks. There would be instructions in a recipe like, you know, simmer the broth for three Lord's prayers. So what are we, I found that on the internet. That was actually a really helpful, helpful tip um, if, you aren't, if you don't have time for your clock. Um, I, so I don't know when you learned this prayer. I definitely learned it as a child. I have no idea when. It's just like, it's always been with me. But I remember there were times where I would kind of get it confused with a pledge. Like we were saying the Lord's Prayer and I put my hand over my heart, which actually is prophetic because it's the greatest allegiance I could be saying at the time, right? My question for us this morning is, why this prayer? Of all the things that God could have asked us to pray. Why this prayer? As a parent, I ask myself, why this prayer? Of all the things that you would wanna hear over and over and over and over again, God, our Father, our Father, our Father. I have almost lost my Christianity with my kids and I'm like, stop saying, hey mom. If you say, hey mom, one more time, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> And if Jesus prayed this prayer, what was happening in his relationship with God at the time? Why should we pray this prayer? What does this prayer do for our relationship with the Father and the Spirit and the Son when we pray this prayer? What happens when we pray this prayer? So we're just gonna take this prayer line by line. I wanna offer a couple of things about each line that might give us a glimpse into why we pray this prayer. So let's start at the beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
our Father. The first two words in this prayer give us a revelation that is unmatched in all of religious history. Of all the ways that we could have started this prayer, Jesus was a good Jewish man. He knew all 150 Psalms, these prayers, these songs, of all the things that he could have said, start your prayer with this. Oh Lord, maker of heaven and earth, anointed king, we come to you. No, he says, pray like this. Our Father, in two words, Jesus tells us how God wants to relate to us. He wants us to know that we are invited into relationship with God, not as slaves, not even as citizens or soldiers, not even as students, but as children. Jesus often refers to God in the gospels as my father. There are a few times where he's talking to people and he says, your father. But here he says, pray like this, our father. And Jesus uses the most familial word for father that he can. He says, Abba, which we've translated in English as daddy. Sometimes I really struggle with that because I don't, there's only a few people, mostly in the South, who call their parents daddy, you know, as they get older. But in Jesus's day, Abba was a tender term that was used both by children and by grown men. And this is the term that we are given to use for God, not father, but our father. At the very start of this prayer, we are set in a family with our brother, Jesus. It's a communal, relational, intimate way of addressing God. Both the doctrine of the Trinity, which is our belief that God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the doctrine of the communion of saints, or our belief about the way that we are connected to each other in this thing called the church, are present here in these two words, our Father. There is a truth that is eternally real, which is that the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit has been completely unbroken forever, before creation, and it goes on eternally. That truth does not need us to be true. And yet in the words, our Father, Jesus said, that eternal love has been extended to you. Come inside. The next line, in heaven, our Father in heaven, At first, this almost sounds like, are we going backwards here? Because we had this familial, tender, closeness, intimacy. In heaven feels a little more detached, uh, a little more about like, well, God's over there and we're here. In heaven is meant to say something about status. God is over all. This is not a detached deity. More like the head of the household. God is our great host, our great protector, 
defender, provider. Our God in heaven is the one who keeps the system, who holds it all together. I think one of the most heartbreaking and even possibly traumatic aspects of our life, at least here in American culture, I don't want to speak for other cultures, but is when either um, by choice or by accident or just by life circumstance, there's a reversal in the role of parent and child. Whether it happens at a young age or as a parent nears death. There's often grief or anger or confusion at the weight of responsibility that just often feels too much. Surely many of you have experienced this. At minimum, it's awkward. Can we take a moment now to sit with the relief of this reality? that our father is in heaven. God will never put the weight of creation on us. He will never forsake his divine fatherhood and be found passed out on the couch while we have to bumble around carrying everything. Our father in heaven is a powerful statement that we come under. So why do we pray this prayer, our Father in heaven? Praying this prayer, we take our place in God's home and God's family. Jesus's father is our father. And every time we go to prayer, we go to prayer with our family, the church, all over the world and throughout time. We take our place in God's home and family in this prayer. Let's move on to the next part. What about hallowed be your name? Hallowed is not God's last name. (laughs) It's a word that shows the importance of God's name. And I think as people, we kind of get this when a name like carries weight or not. Um, Before I married Jason, my last name was Goolsby. (laughs) G-O-O-L-S-B-Y. And it's very hard as a child to have a last name that rhymes with Foolsby. But being a Goolsby kid meant that my name carried weight because my parents were well-known and well-respected in our community, which also meant that I might get told on, so beware. (laughs) Hallowed means holy or sanctified, it means set apart. It's close to a Greek word that means to glorify, to give weight to something. For God's name to be hallowed means that God's reputation, that God's credibility is made known. And the name holy is something that we should think of as encompassing all the other characteristics of God. How are we supposed to rank the qualities or uh, the parts of God that have been revealed to us? God is love. God is also mercy. God is also justice. God is gentle. God is sovereign. God is father. God is king. How would we possibly put these in order of like, this one's cool, this one's awesome, How do we know like 
can we have this one, but not the other? How does this work? The word holy is supposed to for us mean all of it. It's the only characteristic of God that we see in scripture being said over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy are you. When we pray this prayer, we are remembering that God's name is a big deal. And we think of Moses who, when he was invited to approach God, was encouraged, take off your shoes. This is hallowed ground. This is holy ground. But true to God's nature as our father, God doesn't need our reverence. We cannot actually hallow God's name. Can you, can you make God's name better than it already is? Can I make God's name greater than it already is? Of course not. So when we pray this prayer, this request is, God, would you make your name great? Would you make your name known in the world? We want everyone to know how great you are. But there's something else so gracious and beautiful that happens in this request. And I think it's best highlighted by a quote from a third century bishop. His name was Cyprian of Carthage. I wanna put this before us now to just sit with for a second. He says, God is not made more holy by our prayer, but we pray his name so that his name is made more holy in us. I'll read that again, hopefully without butchering it this time. God is not made more holy by our prayer, but we pray so his name is made more holy in us. Why do we pray, hallowed be your name? Because praying this prayer, we are purified. We acknowledge that God's name, God's character is set apart, wholly other, different from everything else. And we learn as we pray this to love this about God, to receive the holiness of God. And friends, when we pray this prayer and we are bringing ourselves into this prayer, into God's holiness, then everything, our desires, our hopes, our suffering, our darkest pain is brought through the purifying fire of his holiness. That is why we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, because we are purified as we pray this. Let's move on to the next section. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a mouthful and probably the part that I mumble the most. And I'm like, are we trying to rhyme come and done, your kingdom come, your will be done? Like, do they rhyme? I don't think they do rhyme. Maybe they don't. Thank you. They don't rhyme, but I say it like it rhymes. Okay. Why does Jesus instruct us or, uh, to pray this or to proclaim this? Well, we have to remember, Matthew shows us that when Jesus first started his public ministry, his first words that he proclaimed were, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When we pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying the biggest yes to God's mission. This prayer has power this prayer is dangerous. You pray this prayer at 7 a.m. by 7.10, you best get your mind right because if my life is supposed to be aligned with God's will, something's gonna have to snap into submission. Am I right? I wanna be on the right side of this thing. Um, Jesus prayed, your will be done in the garden of Gethsemane. 
And he didn't scoot out there easy, he died. So this prayer, whether we mumble it or say it for real, is going to remake us. This prayer is going to align us with the kingdom of heaven. Why do we pray your kingdom come and your will be done? Because praying this prayer, we get aligned with the kingdom of heaven. Now at this point, we see the prayer take a shift. The first few lines are mainly about God, proclamations, Now the prayer moves into petitions. We see our need. We see ourselves in these. Let's look at the first one. Give us today our daily bread. There is so much we could say about this. This really needs its own sermon series. Uh, I was thinking as I was just studying for this that here's an idea. If you are bored with Jesus right now, I have a dare for you. I dare you to spend some time finding everything in the Old Testament and everything in the New Testament that could possibly be tied to a line in the Lord's Prayer. It will blow the lid off your life. You actually will not do it. You will die before you can finish that project and you will die more in love with Jesus than you've ever been. It is amazing, this prayer. There are thousands of sermons that should be preached about this prayer and have been and will be. Praise God. Okay. Um, For instance, let me give you a teaser. Do you see a connection between give us today our daily bread and the Lord's Supper? Sure you do. Jesus took, he gave thanks, he blessed it, he gave it to us. We're not gonna say any more about that today. I just wanna say something else about this line. And it's tied to a story that Jesus told in Matthew 20. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who hired workers and agreed to pay them a daily wage. Daily bread, daily wage, this fits in my humble opinion. And um, no matter when the workers began their day, they were given their daily wage. And this ended up causing some of their workers to grumble against the landowner and accuse him of wrongdoing. And the landowner speaks to them and says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? When we pray this prayer, give us today our daily bread, we are saying a hard thing because we're asking for everyone to receive their daily bread. Even if we think they don't deserve daily bread. I got here first. We are asking for justice. And here in the West, especially, we are asking for a heart of simplicity and a lack of anxiety. Would you give me today my daily bread and help me not compare to anyone else's daily bread or to worry about tomorrow. It is a prayer of trust that God is, again, back to the beginning, this prayer is amazing, overall, that God knows exactly what we need. Why do we pray, give us today our daily bread? Because when we pray this prayer, we learn to depend on the generosity and the justice of God. We learn to depend on the generosity and the justice of God. All right, let's move along to the next line. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And here again, there's just so much to say, but we're gonna hone in on one aspect of this. This is the first time in the prayer that we find something that has to do with our action. And it really doesn't matter if we're talking about trespasses or debts or sins, and we get real particular about it because then it lets us off the hook if we can figure out which one he really means. <laughs> but basically we're talking about the same idea, which is this is the line in the prayer where we are faced with our responsibility in the family of God, the order of God, God's house. Our responsibility is we forgive others, boom. And if you have more questions about this, I invite you to tackle Matthew 18 at some point where Jesus tells the story of a slave who was forgiven a huge debt that he owed to the king. The king himself forgave it. And that same slave turns around, leaving the king's palace and holds a fellow slave to account over some ridiculous tiny sum and gets caught doing it. Jesus shows us in this story the audacity that we have to receive mercy one day and then withhold it the next. And I, I understand that forgiveness is hard work and it is not cheap. Jesus knows this. Why do we have to pray this? Why did he ask us to pray this? Forgive us as we forgive others. Because when we pray this prayer, we depend on the mercy of God. God is asking us to act like people, to live like people who have been forgiven much. That's what forgiveness is. Living like someone who has been forgiven much. That humility is found in praying this prayer over and over and over again. Finally, we come to our last petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Maybe you've heard, do not lead us into trials, but deliver us from evil. Temptation, trial, evil, evil one. They're all part of the same thing, which Christians for ages have defined as the enemies of God or of our own souls are the world, the flesh, and the devil. So that's what we're asking here. God, deliver us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. By the world, we mean deliver us from everything that's against you, or at least apathetic to you. Deliver us from indifference to you. When we say deliver us from our flesh, what we mean is deliver us from our disordered passions, our disordered desires, the way that we hunger for the wrong things, the way that we hate one another, the way that we lust after things that destroy us and destroy each other, deliver us. And deliver us from the real devil, the actual fallen angel, father of lies who doesn't want us to know God at all. Jesus asked us to pray this as someone who knew something about facing evil. He had not yet obviously been crucified, but before his public ministry began, he was led into the desert, the wilderness, where he faced the temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in that wilderness, after he had been fasting for 40 days, 
which begs the question for me, how's my four days into Lent going? (laughs) After he had fasted for 40 days, and possibly even during that time, Jesus faces his own bodily appetites. He's a person. He is offered power and the opportunity to dominate the kingdoms of the world. And I think when I've read this before, it seems so obvious. Jesus, can't you tell that's Satan? Just tell him no. If it was a temptation, something about what was being offered to him must have looked tempting to him. Have we thought about that? And then finally, he's almost tricked into spiritual pride by the devil himself. I don't know how long it took for him to get to the place where each time he said no. But thanks be to God, Jesus did not fail or fall during that time. He stood firm. And for this reason, he is our salvation in temptation. I wanna read to you a a quote from my favorite poet, Malcolm Geet, where he talks about how the mystery of redemption, this is why we pray this prayer, the mystery of redemption is that Jesus acts for me and makes up in his resistance to evil what is lacking in mine. The mystery of redemption is that when Jesus stood in the face of the world, the flesh, and the devil, firm. He makes up in what he did for my lack of ability to do that. When we pray that God would not lead us into temptation or deliver us from, and deliver us from the evil one, we are acknowledging our salvation. Jesus, help me. I need you. You are the only one that can withstand. Come to me now. We learn that our help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is enthroned over all, the one who will never just give up his position and put it all on us, the one who provides for our daily needs, the one who says, I want your participation, forgive others. That's how you participate. Why do we pray, deliver us? Because we are acknowledging our salvation. I wanna invite the band and Jason to come up as we turn from our family prayer to our family table. Just wanna say a couple more things. There is a grandeur to this prayer that I know I personally have missed so often. The holiness and love and sovereignty of God is all encompassed in this prayer. The holiness and the love and the sovereignty of God is here. That is the beautiful glory and weight of this prayer. But also, Jesus asked for us to enter the kingdom of heaven as children. I remember a kid I once knew who was being asked to pray, and this was his prayer. Help us, help us, help us. I see the simplicity of that in this prayer. These lines move us from the grandeur and weight of glory of God into the simplicity of our dependence. 
this prayer helps us say yes to God. And friends, we are praying this as dearly loved children of God. There is a belovedness that we are invited into in this prayer. And you know what? Like kids, we don't know what we're saying. But maybe if we're willing to invest time, commitment, invest our own mental presence as much as we're able to give to this prayer. We've been invited, invited to pray this prayer over and over and over during Lent. Pray it by yourself. Pray it in the morning. Pray it at noon. Pray it at night. Pray with other people. You can find it on YouTube. You can like listen to someone praying it aloud on YouTube with a beautiful accent. It's amazing. But as we pray this prayer, may it form us. May it grow us up in the faith and become something that we can pray with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. May this be our family prayer because we are praying it with our brother Jesus through the power and grace of the spirit for the glory of the father. Amen, amen. Let's go to the table together.